Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Colts Cover 2 podcast. I am Joel A. Erickson. I'm joined, as always, by Nate Atkins. We are here at what is essentially the wrap-up of the... Uh, the Indianapolis Colts season. It's when Chris Ballard talks. We got the bonus of talking to Anthony Richardson today. So there's a lot of stuff to cover here. I don't know that we're going to get to it all. Um, where do you want to start? You want to start with Anthony or Chris? Uh, we can start with Anthony. This is a little bit of a first impressions podcast. So yeah, um, we got Anthony first. Uh, you know, it's just like we we spent this whole season. Obviously, we spent the early part of it on Anthony Richardson, but for far too long, we've kind of just been in the sort of week-to-week game mode. This team found a way to make you know, a very hard push for the playoffs and almost made it and almost won the AFC South. And so, so much of, I feel like, our First Impressions podcast have been talking about the other quarterback who stepped in for him. And on our last one, you said uh, we could be done with that conversation, move back to Anthony Richardson. So this is the first time. We get to I move. Plan on sticking to that. <laughs> so the Colts. Uh, this is our first time we get to move right back into Anthony. So um, I did get to talk to him once uh, when he did this event at Riley Children's Hospital, probably three weeks ago. But uh, today was sort of the first time we got to talk to him about specifically the off season, the future, the moving forward as the quarterback. Like it's it's weird because he's like back in that chair again as the QB one, even though he. He can't throw until next month. The next game they play, again, knock on wood, we'll have Anthony Richardson starting in it. So it's just kind of a fun place to get back into where this season was you know, very entertaining, the, the way that it, they, they scratched and clawed and almost made the playoffs. But it's not going to match what it's like when Anthony Richardson is out there. And today was kind of first time in a while to get to talk and hear from him about what that's his excitement level, which we've always seen when he's been on the field. Uh, he just has such a life about him. But a lot of that was about, you know, that we've seen was was about the, the energy of just getting to play for the first time and being in the NFL. Now he got to talk more about what it looks like on the field, matching up what he thinks he can be with what he saw from Shane Sykin as a play caller, Jonathan Taylor as an explosive uh, back a uh, guy he can share the backfield with. Michael Pittman Jr. is a potential number one receiver if they can bring him back. And I, I you could just kind of feel his his excitement for all of that is that he talked about how he believed, you know, he believed in the pieces coming in. But the thing about it is he was an NFL rookie and so you can you can have faith in, in yourself and some of the guys you see in practice all you want. He got to see actual proof of how good Pittman and Taylor and Steichen are in the offensive line and other pieces that he's going to get to play behind and today just between I thought between Anthony and between Chris Ballard today just had a very sort of uh, long-term hopeful feel which is not always how it feels this day uh, when we get to talk to Chris Ballard and 
talk about quarterbacks after the season ends. I thought some of what you just said dovetailed nicely with with Ballard. One of Ballard's overall messages, he had several, but one of them was that one of his chief concerns in this offseason is explosive plays, both getting them and preventing them. And and on the offensive side of the ball, a lot of his plan, at least to me, sounded like get Anthony Richardson healthy. Yeah. Uh, because he, I think he said they were tenth in explosive plays through, through when Anthony was on the field, and that's without Taylor, right? And that's well, and he was asked specifically about that later, and he he kind of turned the answer into a, a Jonathan Taylor answer, but he was just saying like he he said outright defenses have to play you differently when when Anthony Richardson's on the field. I know. I don't have the exact stats in front of me. I don't have any numbers of the day or anything. But I know Zach Moss was about a yard worse in games that Anthony Richardson did not play in, a yard per carry worse. Uh, and and if you, you extrapolate that somebody like Taylor and what he did in the last game, if he's healthy enough, you know, the, the possibilities are endless. But I think also in the passing game, you know, there was another answer in Chris Ballard's thing about about Alec Pierce. I asked him, you know, just – I try to ask open-ended questions in these things. I try not to lead him too much because I want to hear what he thinks. Um, Ballard is, is typically aware of the narratives, so you don't really have to feed those to him. Um, and I asked him about Alec Pierce, and I think you and I agree. A lot of his answer was uh, we need to get in the football more. Mm-hmm. And if you read between the lines on it, he was just saying, you know, a lot of the stuff he does well, getting down the field, he does really well, and they didn't throw it to him enough. And that's another Anthony Richardson thing, you know, in terms of the explosive plays. So I think on offense, I do think there, there's probably going to be some additions. Um, well, there always are. But I do think there's probably some additions on that side of the ball. But but a lot of a lot of what he was saying was, let's get Anthony on the field. And that, that will fix some of the explosives. Uh, that should fix some of the explosive issues that we had this season. Yeah, I think – in terms of explosiveness, get healthy is the message. And it's for Anthony and for Jelani Woods, who's the other piece that could have really added to this uh, that they didn't have all season. He was out with the you know ongoing hamstring issue. And I have a story up in Indy Star if you want to go check out. Kind of He laid it out really nicely about kind of how it started as a hamstring issue and it really went deeper than that to the way that his body is sort of structured and they're doing some rewiring about it, uh, just just different things in training that he didn't know because you know, he's in this massively athletic body that is growing a little faster than his experience level, which is the same thing Anthony's gone through in his own way. So it's like when you consider the fact that they didn't have Anthony in the backfield to manipulate uh, defenses, to, to open up those lanes for the running back, you didn't have Anthony as the explosive runner himself when he can take off and run. Like I watched him you know, in a clip against – uh, Utah, and it was college, but uh, in elite defense, Utah, he no one was open on this uh, pass play, and he just took off and ran 50 yards to the end zone. Like That's kind of the explosion we're going to see at times. And then just sort of the fit of losing that guy in, in the, the specific quarterback they had step in, Gardner Minshew, while he brought some good things to this team as a veteran and some of the, the ball placement off RPO, he didn't have that arm to go to Alec Pierce. So for a while here, it was hard to f- figure out kind of like where are these explosive plays going to come from. And I thought they did a decent job occasionally getting them on. Minshew got a little bit better on scramble plays. Josh Downs showed uh, he, he's a pretty good yak player and a little bit more down the field player than, than maybe we knew. And then Taylor against the Texans showed us he can, he can still be that explosive home run threat. Uh, but you – you, if you can add back in Anthony Richardson and Jelani Woods, 
um, again, if if they can, you know, if they can get through all this, all of a sudden this this offense could be really really explosive. I don't know that they necessarily do have to make additions, uh, big time additions, more than. What I think they got to do is is keep the band together and get the band healthy. And that means re-signing Michael Pittman Jr. and just kind of rolling this back and, and getting him on the field because I think they have a lot of reason to be very very excited about the pieces that they currently have in house. Yeah, I think you could. I think you probably need to to. I think wide receiver is a spot where I want depth beyond the top three. He said some stuff that made me think that. Um, well, obviously, I, I think he likes Michael Pittman Jr. a lot. Chris Ballard does, um, but. You know, you don't. You'd rather. They actually had pretty good health there this season, and their options, if they lost Michael Pittman or Alec Pierce or Downs for a significant amount of time this year, were not great. I mean, DJ Montgomery had a couple of nice catches one day. Uh, Isaiah McKenzie just frankly didn't do much and isn't expected back. I think you could probably those fourth and fifth spots. You could probably improve quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I don't. You know, I think you look at like, like just looking around the league. Look at the Packers. Like, look at the way, look at the Packers receiving core in the second half of the season. They really haven't had Christian Watson a lot. Uh, Romeo Dobbs has kind of been in and out of the lineup, and they've got and Jaden Reed is very good, obviously. But beyond that, they've got a fifth round pick in Dontavian Wicks playing well. Bo Melton's playing well. Malik Heath's playing well. They've got all these like extra guys who can step in and make a lot of plays. I don't know if they had that from the receiving core. Um, so I think you could see an addition there. Ballard didn't really get into that a ton. Um, but I, you'd like to see some of those guys be explosive for sure at the wide receiver position. And then obviously, I mean, the big thing at wide receiver is what happens with Michael Pittman. Yeah, I think depth is, is kind of where I would add and where they need to add because they have certain free agents. Like running back Zach Moss is a free agent. I do think you need – I mean, nothing's for certain with any running back. So you need – you know, I, I think they would be smart to get a quality guy back. And maybe he's – an option they look at they got a ton of money uh, I just don't know that they have the role that he'll look for once Anthony's here eating into the carries uh, but backup quarterback you know that's where I'd like them to go more mobile player maybe like a Tyrod Taylor is a guy that I, I've started to really like but for the most part it is those death moves because the other ones have mostly you give you a lot of hope either running back quarterback offensive line wide receiver the one spot where I could see them really add a guy that doesn't need an injury to make a real impact is probably tight end uh, just because Jelani Woods is while he is exciting I don't know if you can count on him given yet given the injuries and, and the little that we know about him I don't know that they count at all on Drew Ogletree and then those other two guys uh Colin Granson Moai Cox are both in contract years and maybe I mean Will Mallard had a nice had a nice rookie year too so uh, so maybe they maybe they go with that, but yeah, there's. I just think it's mostly like those. In the past, we've talked about these like huge additions they need to make at either wide receiver or quarterback or offensive line. This year for the offense, I think it's mostly just get the guys you have healthy or under contract and fill out the depth. And I think they have to feel pretty good about the foundation. Other than that, offensive line wise, I was going through the fifty the, the questions we do for Chris Ballard ahead of time. Like if you look at the offensive line. Uh, pretty much everybody can be back. Mm-hmm. Um, Wesley French and Blake, Blake Freeland, who were the 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 uh, primary um, backups, interior and exterior for them this season, are are both on, on rookie contracts. They're back. Um, all the starters are back under contract. I 
Chris Ballard said what we've been saying on this podcast for a while today. If if anyone is still entertaining the thought of move on from Braden Smith, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Ballard said today, uh, I, I got I have to look at the exact quote, but Ballard said with Braden Smith, he was like, uh, he said when he wasn't in there, it hurt us. And his answer about Freeland too was kind of like they they like the mentality, they like some of the 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 moxie he showed, the guts he showed, but I, I don't necessarily know that it was a ringing endorsement of his play. In place of in place of Brayton, but but for a swing tackle, I think I think you have to remember that you're not going to have like an extra starter usually at swing tackle. And if Freeland gets better, as a, if Freeland gets better and stronger in the off season, you might be able to fill that spot. I think you can still add there. I just don't think it's like a priority add. You know, I think you can you you, you might be able to do it with draft picks. You might be able to do it with low level free agents. I don't think there's they're probably going to add a couple offensive linemen just because of roster spots. I just don't know that you like have to make a big emphasis there. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that like if they roll back most of this group that that means that the whole offense is set to just go out and dominate. There's a lot of hope there, but things do still have to build and Chris Bowden made that point on Anthony Richardson. Let's not crown him yet. We're intrigued, we're hopeful, but it's not fully proven and some of that is the durability and some of that is just seeing him with this group. We've never seen him. It's all theoretical on a lot of things with He's never played with Johnny Woods. He got one snap with Jonathan Taylor. It's reason to believe in all those, but there's also reason to wonder about if they can get them all on the field at the same time. So it's more about the fact that like they just got to keep it moving. Or they've had it. They had an impressive first year with Shane Steichen. They were 11th in points scored, even though they had the backup quarterback and you know missed Braden Smith and Jonathan Taylor and others for a lot of the season. It's just like this is. It's time to just keep this kind of. This, this thing going, let it grow organically. Where if they re-sign Michael Pittman, all of a sudden that is your veteran, you know, quote unquote veteran of the receiving core. Even though he's only in his fifth year, uh, but he's played and produced so much, he's he's kind of in that sweet spot of a lot of experience, but still in his the prime of his career. You're kind of letting these other guys beyond him and, and Taylor, who's also in the prime of his career. You're letting these other guys kind of grow up together. So Anthony Richardson with Alec Pierce, Josh Downs. Hopefully Jelani Woods, Will Mallory, you know, that's and then and then with, with along with Shane Steichen, but there is just a lot of for, for all the things we've laid out before, a lot of reason to be encouraged because of just simply what Anthony Richardson's presence is going to do for space in the field, east, west, and north, south, with that vertical arm, the willingness to go down the field off play action, and the way that the quarterback run threat is going to manipulate the numbers in the box. I just think, you know, we talk so much on this podcast and, and everyone else is too about that fourth and one call that their season ended on. There were other options they could have done on that play, but you throw Anthony Richardson in there, there's almost so many good options to do on that play that you're not nearly as nervous about it. Uh, and I don't think you have to even entertain going to a play that, that you've never really run in a game before with a couple backup players. So there's just a lot of hope for what the potential is. But, you know, it could take some time too because Anthony still is not very experienced. And there are probably going to be growing pains because next year is not quite his rookie year, but it's not quite a sophomore year either. So it's just one of those where, I don't know, we're going to be in this weird sweet spot, I think, of, of trying to preach both patience for the youth of this offense but it's also fair to get very, very excited about the potential, especially coming off some of what we saw this year. Yeah, um, I think this is a good place to talk about just Richardson's health. That was a big topic of his of his uh, 
his press conference today was, can he stay healthy long-term? Does he need to change his playing style? Kind of a – I think there's there's a couple of ways you could look at this. I would say that definitively the message that I've gotten from Shane Steichen, Chris Ballard, and from Anthony Richardson is I don't think you're going to see Anthony Richardson turn into a, a pocket-only never-run passer. No. They've they've all said that you don't want to take away from him. That you don't want to take the stuff away from a player that makes him great, um, and that's one of the things that makes him very good. I don't think you're going to see that. Uh, uh, the one thing they have said though is that you know the, the the play that they they point out as the one that he should have done something or could have done something differently on is the concussion against Houston. He slowed up. Anthony has told us himself that on that play he thought he was just going to sail into the end zone and didn't realize the guy could get to him. Um, whereas if he hits the afterburners, the guy doesn't get to him and he probably doesn't get a concussion. So that's that's the thing is, is I know everyone wants a prediction for how Anthony Richardson's health is going to go hmm. in the NFL. I can't do that. Because uh, like, I'll just throw some of the options out there. I understand that there are some players who, regardless of how much they try, uh, they cannot stay healthy. I've covered some of those guys. Like, there are guys who are hurt all the time. Um, there are guys who get hurt early in their careers and don't get hurt again. And then there are a lot of quarterbacks, I would say, that over the course of their careers um, are kind of always dealing with something. They're kind of always dealing with a collarbone or a shoulder or they're limping around on a leg or something like that. Like, I think if. Just to throw out an example, I think if you go back and look at Aaron Rodgers' career on a year-by-year basis and really looked at it, there's a lot of dings and, and things that he ended up playing with year over year, a couple of six-game absences, that kind of thing. There's all three of these possible outcomes, and there's no real way to know. There's even guys who stay healthy for a long time and then the injuries set in, like Cam Newton. Cam Newton. And I think Lamar Jackson kind of has gone in that camp too, which is why they finally transformed their offense. There's also guys that – like it, it's become such a conversation with Anthony about playing style, recklessness, protecting your body and all that. But like sometimes that I, – I think those can bring up some good teaching points for him in if it's not taken too far. But there's still luck in that because look at a guy like how Josh Allen plays. Uh, that is the definition of reckless with your body. Uh, and he's somehow he's got an incre- he's got an incredibly enormous body. That's a but, really good point. Yeah. You know that doesn't that doesn't that didn't save Cam Newton from getting hurt. Like there's just no easy formula to say. I think with Anthony, the re- the reason I com- I connected him to Jelani Woods a little bit, it's 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 kind of hard for these guys who Jelani had this with the tra- with the position switch. Anthony had this because he just didn't play much at Florida when they haven't played a lot. They haven't developed some of the uh, muscles in terms of how they're going to use them in functional movement, and they haven't developed their playing style. And it's almost like when you have that type of player who's in this historically athletic body, as both of those are at their positions, there's just a little bit more risk to the amount of muscles they're dealing with and the movements that they're putting on it at such high velocities and change of direction. And so, Anthony, that's why experience is so important. It's not just for Anthony to learn, you know, the the mechanics and seeing the field as a passer. It's understanding that balance as a runner and scrambler and all of that. And and it's tough because you get in I talked to Michael Vick about this, uh, and he said this is when you end up confusing young quarterbacks is we like to draft quarterbacks based on these high athletic tools 
you know, that mobility, that play extension, anything that gives you a little bit of glimpse of a Lamar Jackson or Patrick Mahomes, then they get into the league and the conversation's all, oh, please protect yourself, don't run, don't get hurt. And the young quarterback who's trying to establish himself and find value for his team and fit the offense is kind of unsure what he's supposed to be exactly. And I think that's happened to Anthony at times. It happened to him at Florida where some of that injury narrative set in early. Some of it was fair. Some of it was what I've been told quite exaggerated, but it got into his head to where when he got to be the starter at Florida, he really played more like a drop back passer than he probably should have. He passed up some scramble opportunities. Uh, just, you know, there are times that he, his people would get in his ear and tell him like, you're not Tom Brady. Stop trying to be Tom Brady from the pocket. But he felt like he had to prove something. He had to adjust something. The Colts are trying hard to get him back to, playing as the elite athlete he is you know and, and it's just gonna which means absorbing a little bit of risk taking chances uh, but within that they're gonna have teaching points like that Houston play about when you're gonna do that there's when there are moments of, of clear opportunity to protect yourself you got to do that too and so that's all part of the learning process too the Colts probably have a decision to make it backup quarterback I don't want to spend a ton of time on this I just want to put something out into the into the universe just so it's out there. Tyler Huntley is a free agent. His skill set fits Anthony's more. Don't have to change the offense as much. Go take Tyler Huntley from the Ravens in free agency. And maybe draft a guy. I kind of want him to draft a guy too. Although although Chris Ballard did throw Sam Ellinger into the mix of the backup quarterbacks today. But uh, I kind of want him to draft another guy like Anthony so that you don't have to change the offense as much. Just throwing yeah. it out there. Like I said, very quick. Just want to throw it out there, put it out in the world because it's a thought I had. It's time for thoughts. We'll we'll call that Joel's hot take of the day. We'll just that's, that's my take of the day. Anthony Richardson, Tyler Huntley, super mobile draft pick. All right, and since we like to ping pong these in the first impressions, I'll throw mine out there. Is Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback I think the Colts should sign as a backup if if Tyrod can't get a starting opportunity or bridge opportunity. Oh, he's past that. He's definitely back up, I think, now. Yeah, then that makes it a great uh, great spot here because, to me, he brings a lot of what they liked in Gardner Minshew as far as a guy who started and smart veteran and got to learn from all that, but also has some of that mobility and a little bit more willingness to go down the field. He had some explosive plays this year in limited time for the Giants, and he started a lot in this league. He's 20, 28 and 28 as a starter. He started a playoff game. I think he could be both a great mentor for Anthony and – a little bit more of that mobile player. The concern with him is he has a long injury history too. I think it's not quite the same evaluating that for the backup as it is the starter. So I'd like to see them do that one. But okay. Tyler Huntley is also a good suggestion. Okay, so moving to the other side of the ball, this was the other big piece of individual news. I would put Anthony in the big piece of individual news, just, just talking to him again for the offense. Defensively, Gus Bradley will be back. Uh, Chris Ballard was asked that point blank he said yes he's under contract for 2024 but he also said he will be back uh, Chris Ballard said what we've kind of suggested on this podcast for a while uh, which is he puts a lot of the blame for the defense on himself for giving for kind of hamstringing or tying Gus's hand behind the back whatever metaphor you want to use uh, Ballard kind of puts a lot of it on himself for what happened for some of the youth in the secondary um, I I don't know. I think moving it forward without looking back because they've made the decision. So I think with a better secondary, 
this scheme definitely does work more. I don't know that you're ever going to see like a super blitz heavy approach. I also am not convinced that Shane Steichen wants that. We don't know for sure, but Chris Ballard did say in one answer today about Shane Steichen that he sees the whole picture. He knows a lot about offense and defense. He doesn't do that so much from the podium. <laughs> uh, but Chris Ballard obviously is, is having much deeper conversations with him. And so I I thought after Atlanta, we asked him about you know blitzing more, that kind of thing. And he said, shoot, I'd rather play back and limit some of those explosive plays. Chris Ballard said today limiting explosive plays was a big deal. I, even with changes in the secondary, I don't think you're going to see Gus Bradley go away from who he's been historically – and suddenly become blitz happy. Is that fair? Oh, yeah. I mean, when they brought Gus Bradley in, it was about buying into that track record. And that at that time, of course, Shane Sykin wasn't here, but Curtis Ballard is pretty involved in those conversations. He's, you know, he's got his own track record of drafting and developing on defense. It's more of his side of the ball, I think, more naturally his side of the ball. And then Shane, has, Shane had to make the same call, too, when he came in as the head coach. And he'd worked with Gus before. I think there's this narrative that formed out there that's like Shane was just given Gus and they just it was an arranged marriage. That's just not how it worked because that also would have been the reason why Bubba Ventrone would be here in that case. Yeah, that's good. And he's not. Like Shane made decisions on the staff and he had worked with Gus in San Diego. And I think the other the other thing that And gets, Los Angeles technically. It's so annoying having to oh, deal with the right. Chargers move. <laughs> it's so dumb. And they should just be in San Diego. Yeah. Quick aside, they should be in San Diego. Back to what you were saying. Apologies for interrupting. Except for next next year, two years from now, we get to go to L.A. twice. Because uh, you would rather go to San Diego. Okay, that's fair. I, I got to go. I got. I did one NFL road trip to San Diego. You would rather do one trip to L.A. and one to San Diego. Just saying. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah, back to Gus. I guess I think the one other thing that gets, in my opinion, a little misconstrued is that because Shane is a very aggressive offensive coach I think there's this idea that like what he what people project on him with a defensive coordinator is that aggressive defensive coordinator what I actually think defines Shane is his obsession with explosive plays which on offense is seeking them out and on defense is preventing them now there is an argument that you could create more explosive type of playmaking on defense with a blitz heavy scheme like a wink martindale approach you're also going to give up a lot that is just the nature of doing that the kind of the only way you don't if you're going to blitz a lot and, and survive it is if you have elite quarterbacks and so that's why teams like the browns and ravens will blitz more because they have elite man cover cornerbacks which is the opposite of what they had here so so i want to throw out something i read and i wish i could remember where i read it i don't it's earlier this week, it was about, if, for those of you who don't know, uh, essentially Brian Dable fired Wink Martindale's right-hand man. Wink lost his mind and flew to Florida? Is that right? Yeah, I think you're referring to a New York Post story. Yeah, uh, flew to Florida. And anyway, so there was a story, uh, probably New York Post, hopefully I, New York Post. I read it too, it was New York Post. Um, about like where the, the splits happen. I think this is instructive given... This, this story was, was making me think about the Colts' defense and maybe why they're not moving on from Gus Bradley. Uh, there was a game when the Giants were missing three, I think, three defensive backs. Uh, and Brian Dable wanted to play a conservative scheme in the back end because he was afraid of explosive plays. He wanted to limit them and, and try to beat them that way. 
and Martindale essentially disagreed, stuck with his blitzing patches, packages, and they got torched. I can't remember what they what the I can't remember off exactly what the, which game it was or the offensive numbers. Cowboys this, game. This just stuck out in my head because it was it was so much the opposite of what the Colts did most of the season. Was that, that you can blitz with a secondary like the Colts had. I think the first play against the Texans is sort of an indicator of what you might have gotten if or or the Saints game. Uh, you could you could have or what is something of which you've gotten if you have left those corners in one on one the entire season. And more importantly, more importantly, I think that the the head coach defensive coordinator link of that story, where the head coach wanted to play one style and the defensive coordinator wanted to play another one, is is the key piece because Gus Bradley said the last time we talked to him that one of the things he learned about Shane is he's very demanding and he wants stuff fixed. And they made a big change after the Saints game to limit explosive plays by shifting to more split safety coverages, doing less cover three, that kind of thing. I I, I, I think it's a mistake to think that Gus Bradley is operating with complete autonomy on defense with no input from the head coach. I think they're more in lockstep than people realize. Yeah, and I think within that too, it's uh, as they had those conversations and they feel it out, they realize like whether that's Gus's philosophy too. And I think a lot of it, kind of is I mean I know he's traditionally the, the the safety thing is a little different he's traditionally more of a, a single high safety guy but but it's one of those things where like if Shane was telling him we need to blitz a ton blitz 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 and that's not who Gus is I don't think Gus would still be here and the Wink Martindale examples shows that is that if you're gonna have an experienced coach hired for a certain scheme you need to empower him to at least run that basic identity and clearly Brian Dable and Wink Martindale no longer agree on that identity but I think Shane and Gus do agree on it. So the thing is, like, he'll he's going to be back next year, and I think, for, and I don't know, some people aren't going to love that. Um, but I think what it will do is, for those of you who are who are not thrilled about that, I think it will ramp up some pressure next year on that defensive staff. Is that we've given a, a lot of passes, and it seems like the Colts have too about playing with these super young corners. They're not going to be as young next year, and. We'll see if they make adjustments, if they bring in veterans or whatnot. But, you know, it's going to be like – I think it makes sense to evaluate him once you no longer just have rookie – I mean, they had a seventh-round rookie at one outside corner spot. Juju was only there for half a year, and then they had Daryl Baker Jr. and even started Tony Brown for a game on the outside. So they need to get him into a spot that's more uh, evaluation. Not that that's the, the point of the season, but I think – if they have these same numbers next year, I think the people who were anti-Gus will have a much stronger argument. This year, it's just hard to really argue that much that he was in a good position with the personnel. I think you're you're kind of saying this, but I'll, I'll say it. I'll say it plainly. I think it also puts a lot of pressure on Chris Ballard. Yeah, uh, he made this decision, and he said today, you know, I went young, and I think it'll pay dividends down the line. Um, but you better be darn sure that. If if you don't make big additions at corner, if you don't make a big addition at free safety, or because because let's 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 just get this out of the way quickly. I asked him about safeties. He said Julian Blackman was very good. He said there were consistency issues with both Nick Cross and Ronnie Thomas. I don't think that surprises anybody. But he, when I asked the question, he said I knew this was coming. That's good. Those are Ballard's like tells for you hit on something that I've been thinking about. Um, and so safety is one of those spots corner is one of those spots if if we're in the same situation again because they decided not to add 
at this position, uh, that's it's bad for Ballard because he said today his expectations are compete for the division and be and be in the playoffs. They've they've got to do some stuff in the secondary. I mean, if that if that's the lesson of this season that that we're keeping that they're keeping Gus Bradley because he didn't have the personnel, you have to make sure that that's fixed. You can't hope. You have to make sure that that's fixed. And now I will say, some of Ballard's bets did pay off this season. I think the offensive line bet paid off handsomely. We were all talking about offensive line depth. He said they wanted to roll with the young guys. That pretty much worked out. Yep. Uh, Sam def- defensive line wise, for the most part, it worked out. Do they have some additions to make there? Yes. Um, one addition specifically, we'll get to her in just a second. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, if 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 he doesn't give Bradley and Ron Miles and those guys some help and rolls it back with just the same guys, I think that's probably a mistake. No matter how much confidence he has in in Juju Brents or Jalen Jones, Dallas Flowers is coming off an Achilles. Guys tend to have trouble coming off of that. Like three corners is not enough. No, it's not. Especially when <laughs> one of them's coming off of an year. Achilles and Juju Brents is dealing with I mean Juju Juju played parts of nine games essentially. Yeah. Yeah. And not to make this all just excuses for Gus Bradley cuz I think there are some valid criticisms or ideas for him as far as I think he could get more creative with certain blitz packages. I I think both of us. Let's just let's just get this out there. I think both of us sort of enjoy watching the man-to-man blitzing schemes a little bit more than Gus's style. Fair? Yeah. Yeah. I, I love pass rush, so I, I don't care how you do it, really. I don't care if it's for, if it's for or blitzing. Anything that gets after the quarterback, whatever it is, I'm all watching. Yeah, and I love I love man coverage, so I, I'm, I'm someone who would draft corners high all the time. They just haven't done that here. Um, so there's some things I think he could do better as far as he's got some natural blitzer uh, profiles on his team, whether that's Kenny Moore EJ Speed, Nick Cross. I just I think he could get better at disguising and baking those in when it's not just third and long. That said, like there are other personnel issues that I think got glossed over, or we 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 wrote about it, we talked about them, but in the totality of the season, he had two starters on the defense who missed twenty three games combined for suspension. It's Isaiah Rogers missed seventeen, and Grover Stewart missed six, and then they got unfortunately not really anything out of Shaquille Leonard who's another impact player that they were coming into last year counting on to be that kind of a player. To back you up on this, throw you can throw Brents and Flowers into it because I think coming into the season, the assumption was that the, the starting cornerbacks for the majority of the season would be Juju Brents and Dallas Flowers. I, I'm pretty sure it's a combination of 13 games total for both of them. Yeah, and so that's just kind of carnage on the back end. Now the flip side of that is they had really a great bill of health on the defensive line and – but we saw that pay off. We saw that they had the most sacks of any Colts team in Indianapolis. They finished like fifth in the NFL. At least they were heading into the last game. So, but but my point there. So so Gus doesn't get all the credit for that. But it does show you that like if you give him a healthy and capable complement of veteran players, he can turn into something good in some of these areas. Give him more of that on the back end of the defense. And we'll see. It's it's it is going to ramp up the pressure though, because if if they do that in either either if they they give him in that next year and they still struggle, then then we've got an issue. If they don't give him that and they struggle, then Chris Ballard probably has the issue. Yeah, almost a bigger issue. Yeah. Um. Okay, so we we just mentioned the defensive line. This is the thing. This is the addition I was talking about. I have been saying that I want corner 
or safety in the draft. I, I still think you could pick either of those positions. You could also maybe talk me into a super twitchy high ceiling edge rusher. And I know, I know they've made a lot of picks there and they haven't always worked out. I just, maybe I wouldn't, maybe I wouldn't quit trying. Maybe I'd keep going, especially with the 15th pick. Uh, there was a telling answer on Quiddy Pay today. Uh, he said he's an excellent run defender. He's, there's some stuff he can work on in the pass rush. I think we all know what Pay's been for most of his career is a second effort rusher. Uh, in terms of having like the sort of, they got a committee pass rush this year. I, I, I like the committee pass rush. I think DeForest Buckner is great. Divo Dengbo might be headed towards great. Um, I still would like a war daddy edge rusher. And I, I don't think it phrase. I don't think it hurts. I don't think it hurts anything if you add one of those guys and he plays like Jacob Martin's Jake Martin snaps plus or you know uh, Jake Martin and Isaiah Lands slaps snaps put together plus if he's not quite there like you know I'm trying to think of a good example of this but there are teams who have taken edge rushers in this range-ish like the 15th pickish range and they've been you know like rotational guys well, here's one in to the division. start and then they went crazy Harold Landry there you go. Good one. So the Titans took him high in the second round, and he was a guy that is not really built so much for the run. So he's like the inverse of Quiddy Pay. So the idea was like, is he every down enough to draft high enough? Well, they drafted him to a pure pass rushing role, limited him to that, and now he's a sort of double-digit sack guy every year when he's healthy. That's the kind of guy that would be fun for them to add because while this pass rush for the most part worked this year, there were moments, including in that Texans game, that it did feel like, man, I wish they had one guy who could really scare you off the edge. They have it in the interior, but I would just love it if they could drop back. When a quarterback drops back on third and seven, if they could have that guy that could have that one-speed rush that just wrecks it. I just don't know that they have that. And, and Samson had a very nice year, and Quiddy offers kind of a well-rounded package. But I agree that if there's if there's a swing to take in the first round uh, at that position – that would help a lot, and that would, uh, man, that would help those young cornerbacks too. And, and those guys got again a good pass rush on the whole this season, but there just were some moments I thought against good escapable quarterbacks where they just, I don't, know, they they could have used a little bit earlier of a win from the pass rush instead of they allowed the quarterback the chance to hit some big time throws, and that ultimately is what ended their season. DeForest Buckner actually said point blank the other day. He said, "We've got to find." He said, "We're proud of the we're proud of the sack mark because obviously they are the most sacks in in Indianapolis era history." But he said, "We've got to do a better job against." Um, I believe he said, "Play action and max protect," which those were the things that and moving the pocket too a little bit. When, when teams really stuck to the game plan of trying to do all of that stuff, the pass rush seemed to have trouble. Buckner kind of acknowledged that. Um, we've done a pretty good job here of going through basically the entire roster i think i think where i want to end this podcast on is just we've been wondering well we've known how the expectations are going to change externally we were wondering a little bit how the expectations would change internally and shane steichen sort of hinted at this the other day when he said i think we're on the verge of something special chris ballard made it more overt today he said we asked him what his expectation was what the goal should be for 2024 given what they just did he said we should be in the playoffs and we should be competing for division titles, which they were kind of right there in terms of, if you think about if they had won that Texans game, they would have won a division title and been in the playoffs. But I think it's still significant to hear him say that. 
Yeah, because I think it's going to change the dynamic of this year where fans, everyone was disappointed with the way that that Texans game ended in falling short of the playoffs when you had the chance to get there. But I don't think there's anybody that looks at this season as a disappointment, especially given the injury of Anthony Richardson. But next year, if we're at the same spot and they miss the playoffs, I think we probably are talking about it as a disappointment. It may not be like the end of the world uh, type of thing, but it's going to be a missed opportunity where you've got a talented rookie quarterback that people believe in. We'll see quite what it amounts to, but they believe in it. Stepping into a team that was already right there, and on top of that, they have $70 million in cap space and the number 15 pick in the draft. So they have everything at their disposal to build round this pretty good team out into a division title team, and who knows, if they if they do enough, they could be knocking on the door of something really good next season. This is, this is quite frankly, the step that they have not been able to take under Chris Ballard. They made the playoffs in 2018, made the playoffs in 2020, They've ne- they still have not won a division title. They only have one playoff win. Um, this is the step that they have to take under him. And I, I do think Shane Steichen's presence probably extends Ballard's tenure. But I do think it's instructive to think, like, th- this is the step they need to take is they need to start doing that. And I I know Stroud being in Houston looks crazy. But, like, just I just want to end on this because it's crazy for me. If I've learned anything since I started covering – the Colts in 2018. It's that the AFC South narrative changes so fast. Just, I might miss a couple of these, but just, just listen to what, like when I got here in 2018, the story was the return of luck. Then it was the next year. It was the Texans have a true top five guy. They're going to dominate this division. They've got Deshaun Watson pretty quickly after that. There was a 2020 season where the Colts were challengers, but pretty quickly after that, it became the Titans division so much so that it, influenced Jim Irsay's decision to fire Frank Reich, the pressure that Reich was under, all that stuff. It was the Titans division. It was going to be the Titans division. Well, in fact, as as little as 14 months ago, the Titans were two-time division champs, 7-3, and three, running away with another division title. Since then, since then, uh, they have, the Titans have completely collapsed to the point that they fired Mike Vrabel. The Jaguars were anointed and then dethroned as the as the division champs for however long in this division. And now it's all about C.J. Stroud. Who cares what it looks like right now? <laughs> Who cares? Who cares what positions people look like they're in? The Colts need to go get their first division championship since 2014. It has to start happening. Yeah, just since I got here just over two years ago, all four AFC South coaches have been fired. So things turn around very quickly. And they also turn around in the landscape of big-picture contender because the example I'd throw out there is the Bengals, who were just about as hopeless as you could possibly get until they drafted Joe Burrow and the next year drafted Jamar Chase, and all of a sudden they're there in the Super Bowl and then the AFC title game the very next year. So this can speed up, and so it will be a challenge of Chris Ballard, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch, is that what we've understood of him in his tenure so far is – you know, he's sort of that patient, pragmatic general manager who, for the most part, has not had that quarterback to go all in with, and therefore he hasn't. Those excuses are starting to fall away. And the way he's talking, the way that Shane's talking, sets this up as a time to go for it. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to go sign a billion free agents, but they've got a lot of in-house guys. They've got money to spend. They've got resources. They're going to start having to use them. This is the time to go. 
kind of pedal to the me- pedal to the floor. This past year, we get we let them. I don't know so much let them, but we they got through by doing certain things like going young in the secondary and you know and whatnot. But those those kind of decisions aren't going to fly so much anymore uh, because we've seen enough out of this team. We've seen enough out of the roster out of Shane Steichen to believe that at least they should feel like we have this team to go all in on pretty soon here. If it's not this year, it's certainly they got to take that that key step forward into feeling like you're a Super Bowl contender in the next two years. That's got to be the hope when you have a talented quarterback on a rookie deal. The funny thing about this is that we say all this stuff and it makes you really excited to see what they do in the offseason. But unlike last season when there was a lot of stuff going on on a daily basis in January, they can't do a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here until really the combine starts. It's going to be a different kind of offseason. At least we anticipate it being a different kind of offseason in terms of roster building. We'll be there to cover whatever and whenever it comes. For the Indy Star, I am Joel A. Erickson and Nate Atkins. Thank you for being with us in the 2023 season. Stick with us in 2024. We're not going anywhere. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.